welcome to Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Vaughn. Today's story is entitled, Preconceived Prejudice. When I was younger, my parents, especially my father, would take our family to concerts at Swarthout Hall on the University of Kansas campus. We would go as our family of six, four kids and two adults. We would often sit in the back row and we would listen to choir concerts, orchestra concerts, big band concerts, you name it. We were often there on Sunday afternoons. Church would conclude and we would sometimes go to Mr. Steak. And as an aside, you know, there's those restaurants you go to as a child that seem like they are super upscale, super nice, super fancy. And uh, that was Mr. Steak when we were a kid. We'd go to Mr. Steak, and that was like a real treat. I remember going to Mr. Steak when I was an adult and realizing, man, we really must have been poor when I was a kid. But I digress. So we would go to these concerts uh, at KU, and we would do this probably once a month or so. We would attend these concerts, and uh, I have memories of going all the way back to when I was six and seven years old. And we would often sit in the upper balcony toward toward the back of the concert hall, um, I remember one time we went, uh, big orchestra production, and uh, my younger brother, Rich, was probably three or four at the time, had fallen asleep in my mother's lap, and we get to the last song of the of the uh, cycle for the concert, and there's this uh, loud forte section toward the very end of the piece with a, with a crashing cymbal, and uh, my brother, Rich, uh, it startled him and woke him up. And I remember it tickled my dad, dad so much that he had to get up and leave the, uh, leave our seats because he couldn't stop giggling because of his reaction to Rich. But this story isn't about that. This, this story is about the time our family went and it was a choir concert. And I always enjoy the choir concerts uh, much more than I did the other types of concerts. In fact, there were times where my father and I would just go to, to orchestra or band concerts and we would sit in the back of the balcony and both of us would fall asleep and take naps. But at this particular um, choir concert, the closing song, the ending song was uh, an African-American spiritual, spiritual was, was, a, was a Negro spiritual. And a large black um, baritone was singing a solo. And the song was so powerful, uh, it ended on such a, a grand fortissimo that when the song was over, the entire audience erupted in applause and everyone stood to their feet and cheered. It was an amazing experience. I still get goosebumps on my arm thinking about it. Now, I was probably six or seven years old, so I cannot recall the song, but I remember the experience very vividly. I also remember that my father didn't stand and my father didn't clap after the performance. In fact, my father looked rather somber sitting in his seat. And as we got up and left and made our way down the aisle out of Swarthout Hall into the foyer area and then out into the parking lot and then out to our 1976 Ford Green station wagon. Myself and my siblings and my mom were abuzz with the performance, talking about it and uh, talking about the goosebumps we had and how impactful it was and how powerful it was and what a great singer that baritone was. But my father remained silent. We get to the car, we all pile into the car in our appropriate seats, and before my father put the key in the ignition, he put his arm up on a seat and looked over his shoulder at us children and said, what makes you think that black people talk like that? 
Now, we were all stunned into silence. We really didn't know what my father meant. And he went on to explain that the dialect that was used in that song, and we've all heard this before, you know, like wade in the water instead of the water. Uh, God's going to trouble the water. Um, it was a dialect song sung in dialect. And he went on to explain that uh, he felt that that song was disrespectful to African-American people, that uh, it's a proud culture, and that, you know, in, in one generation, um, those slaves learned our language, they learned our instruments, they learned our type of music uh, in one generation. And he just went on and on about how disrespectful he felt that that type of music was, that it, it made it seem that black people were not as smart as white people, and he was very offended by that. Now, again, I'm six or seven years old, and that stuck with me the rest of my life. I had difficulty in high school and college singing dialect songs because ingrained in me was that this was disrespectful to the African-American community, and especially to those who had uh, specific heritage going back to um, slavery. So I make it all the way through college, my undergrad year, with these thoughts in my mind, and never sang a dialect song in my first 10 years or so of teaching. Avoided them, actually. Now, there are many dialect songs that are actually used for contest pieces. Um, dozens and dozens of them, actually. So I was always conflicted seeing these, thinking how could learned people, composers, write stuff like this? And then I attended graduate school at KU. Uh, one of the absolute best experiences of my life. Not only did I learn more at this time, but I gained tremendous mentors at this school that, that cared about me as an individual, but more about my passion for teaching young people how to sing, but beyond that, what music can do for them intellectually, personally, historically, all of those things in, in our culture that music can affect. And so it happened that one summer... We had Andre Thomas come to our to KU, and he was leading some advanced uh, classes in conducting. And uh, I signed up for these classes. I didn't need these classes to graduate, but um, Andre Thomas, and maybe that name will sound familiar to do to you. He is now in the United States the foremost authority on on the Negro spiritual, on the African American spiritual, and he's he is an African American instructor. He used to be at Florida State. I think he's now since retired, but uh, just a brilliant man and a wonderful, wonderful composer has written all kinds of music, but came to KU to lead us in some advanced choral conducting techniques, and he was brilliant, and he was amazing, and when you're doing choral conducting, uh, they pass out music, and you become the choir, so whoever's there for the class, you're the choir, and then you take turns directing that choir, and all of the music that Mr. Thomas, Dr. Thomas brought all of it uh, was Negro spirituals. Every song that he had was Negro spiritual. So in my mind, I'm like, well, here's here's an African-American composer. Uh, he is one of the most renowned composers in, in America at the time. He is a, now a renowned researcher and travels the world researching and uh, leading choirs and directing choirs and instructing world-class directors. And he shows up with a collection of these Negro spirituals. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, um, this does not compute with me, right? I, I don't understand 
you know, where this is going. And so we had several sessions where we're going through the conducting. And uh, when it was over, you know, Mr. Thomas is a very busy man. But when we were done with our, our last session, I walked up to him and, you know, shook his hand, thanked him for his time uh, coming and spending it with us. And I said, hey, um, when everyone else has come through, you know, and, and thanked you for being here, would you happen to have five or 10 minutes to talk to me? I said, I go, there, there's something on my mind uh, that's really weighing on me. And uh, I really need to discuss it with you if you have time. And he was very gracious. He said, certainly, certainly. He goes, uh, just wait here. And when everyone's uh, gone through, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be more than happy to visit with you. And so I uh, almost emotionally explained the story about my father. And going to this concert in the you know the very building that he was now instructing us uh, on how to be choral directors, and explain the story to him. And I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder, and him saying, "Your father was so well-meaning." You know, and, and I explained to you know my my father had a Quaker background and really took you know that Quaker legacy of you know being against uh, slavery um, was really very proud of that heritage and legacy. And, you know, put his hand on my shoulder and he's telling me, your father was so well-meaning, but incredibly misguided and frankly wrong. And, you know, he's talking about my dad. And uh, so I'm taking it back a little bit. And he went on to explain. He said, so he goes, what we're doing with these Negro spirituals is we are honoring those people that came before us that didn't have the same experience we did, that didn't have the opportunity to go to school, that didn't have the opportunity to learn the language. And so what we're trying to honor is, this is how they would have sung it. This is how we can approximate what they were doing. And as we were talking, he, tell, you know, he informs me that he had gone to Wichita State University. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, my dad went to Wichita State University. And so he starts explaining to me that he felt the same way I did when he was a child. So this this black boy and this black young man grows up believing that this is a disrespectful way um, of showing, you know, making fun of almost of how black people would have sang. And then he goes to Wichita State and Jester Harrison, Harrison was at Wichita State while he was there. The name Jester Harrison may uh, ring with some of you. It was a well-known actor, but he was the main person, I'm going to geek out for some of you here, the main person who wrote and and researched how to how to write a Negro spiritual. How, how would they have sounded like? And Jester Harrison wrote them because he was raised by his grandmother, and his grandmother was a former slave. And so he would hear his grandmother with the other women in the community as they were working and doing things around the house. They would be singing these plantation type songs. And he, he ingrained all of those and determined that he was going to save and write down and uh, capture what these songs sounded like so that that part of our history would not be lost. 
And so my mind's kind of reeling. I'm like, oh my gosh, my dad had to have been in college when Jester Hairston was there as well. So, you know, all of these things are coming together. At this point, my father had already passed away. So I didn't have an opportunity to even speak to my father about these things. And I remember I had a very emotional ride home in my car by myself thinking about all of these things and, and how these things had all come to be. And after that moment, I completely changed my philosophy. And I remember, I don't know if my the, the students that I had up at Holton hated me while I was going through my um, master's degree program because I would often come back to school and tell them, oh my gosh, I have learned the most amazing thing. Uh, or, or we're going to try this technique. I don't know if it's going to work or not. We're going to try this technique because it was something I learned. But I remember coming and explaining to my students somewhat emotionally that I had been wrong and that we were going to start learning about these songs and we we're going to start incorporating those songs into what we do. But it's interesting as you look back on your life and uh, you know, my dad was not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I think my father tried incredibly hard to be a good man. Um, but it's interesting when you look back on things and when you are ignorant of something. And my dad was a pretty learned man. But when you're ignorant of something, even things that you might intend for good, because of your lack of knowledge, because of your ignorance, they can lead to dangerous, hurtful and misleading preconceived prejudices. Thank you for joining me today on Stories from Nowhere. Again, I'm your host, Randall Bond, and I appreciate you listening today. And I know today's story isn't as lighthearted as most of the other stories that I tell, but it's one of the more impactful stories that happened to me as a young child and it affected me all the way into adulthood. And I share this story almost every year with my high school students. I hope you'll stay with us next week. I've got a story from my early youth about getting lost at the Sidewalk Bazaar.